flying off somewhere. Purchase your COVID-19 tests from BP Healthcare before traveling as the vaccinated travel lane requires testing at pre-departure and arrival from Malaysia and Singapore. You may now pre-purchase your COVID-19 tests to ensure a seamless journey. Our high-tech on-site labs at KLIA 1 and 2 make for a shorter wait while you relax in our exclusive health screening lounge. For details, visit airport.doctortoyou.my. Brought to you by BP Healthcare. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt Splained. Now, in our first of three episodes wrapping up the year indoors that has been 2021, uh, we're talking about the trends and breakthroughs in science and technology that have marked this year. Um, Matt, hi. Um, I think we've got to start with vaccines today, don't we? Hey, Rich. Yeah, because I've been promising it for uh, for weeks and weeks and failing to deliver. So, you know, I, I've got to, uh, well, deliver like the vaccine. Finally do. been so, called out. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, just just a couple of weeks ago, though, this was going to be a, a celebration of the vaccines that have, you know, let us eat out in restaurants or head mm. to the beach or go back to the cinema again. Uh, you know, people have been able to even get back on planes again with reasonable confidence you know especially given the impact that the uh, delta variant had worldwide yeah. uh, pushing countries back into lockdown even as their vaccination programs were rolled out you know at least with uh, malaysia uh you know we're fortunate enough to be in a position where the country can offer people booster shots now um yeah. you know because malaysia may not have been the first in line to receive the vaccine stocks and uh, its uh, vaccination rollout may have, uh, uh, you know, had a, an initially hesitant public response. But it has been a massive success overall. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't want to get into the politics of any of it. I opted for the AstraZeneca vaccine. I got both doses at PWTC. Mm -hmm. And I was hugely impressed with, you know, the scale, the organization and the efficiency of that process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th then, you know, as I said, with as we're about to celebrate those successes, uh, we have news about the emergence and the potential threat of the Omicron variant. Mm. And it's going to be another couple of weeks before we really have a, a kind of accurate threat assessment. Uh, does it respond to the current vaccines or will those uh, vaccines have to be tweaked before we find out how infectious it really is and how rapidly it's likely to spread? So that's a bit of a dark cloud hanging over what was supposed to be a kind of celebration of a remarkable success story. Yeah, uh, I also got mine done at PWTC as well. Uh, amazingly impressed. I, I particularly love the buskers over there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> move, moving on. Uh, Vax, uh, that was the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year, right? Yeah, and uh, Merriam-Webster, the US dictionary publisher, said vaccine was the most searched for word on their sites, you know, both with people trying to understand what vaccines are and how they work, mm -hmm. as well as people trying to get to grips with uh, the health uh, policy responses. So we've all added phrases like SOPs, 
mRNA, PCR, double dose to our vocabularies over the past kind of 18 months. Yeah. Uh, we routinely wash everything we buy from grocery stores, even when they come in boxes. Uh, and we're buying, you know, at home saliva test kits. We've transformed kitchen tables into offices and into classrooms, often at the same time. So it really has been, you know, a year of uh, kind of quiet triumphs as well as devastation. Yeah, for sure. Now let's let's rewind a little bit uh, then and and talk about uh, y- your point about mRNA. How well do people really understand the science behind those terms? Do you think? Well, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring it up today. You know, there are uh, a, a few different types of vaccine. Uh, mRNA is just one. So there are the mm-hmm. viral vector vaccines like AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson, and of course the Russian Sputnik virus that use a, a safe, modified form uh, version of the virus to deliver the uh, pathogen that kills the cells. Uh, the whole vaccine viruses like Sinovac and Sinopharm that use an inactive or deactivated version of the virus that triggers your body's own immune response to mm-hmm. uh, the invading virus. Uh, protein subunit vaccines like Novavax, which has recently received emergency approval in some countries. Now, these break up the pathogen of the virus into subunits and are thought to be uh, safer for people with compromised immune systems because they minimize the side effects. Right. But the type, I think, that's received most of the press, the mRNA or messenger RNA vaccines, of which uh, Pfizer and Moderna are examples. Mm. Uh, There are also antiviral pills in the works by uh, Merck and Pfizer, neither of which has been cleared yet. Uh, Merck's pill causes the virus to essentially mutate itself to death, while the Pfizer pill should block an enzyme that the virus needs in order to replicate. And specifically, it's the mRNA vaccines you want to talk about today. Is that correct? Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, that's the the one that's had the uh, the, the most press. And mm. it's not a case of one system or type of drug being better than another. You know, many of us are being advised to take different types of vaccine, vaccine for the booster shots. Uh, yeah. For example, you know, if you had a vector vaccine initially, then some health authorities are recommending that you complement that with an mRNA vaccine. Mm -hmm. But uh, while we beat this virus back, I think we're going to see a lot of these hybrid responses, Uh, you know, along with treatments like remdesivir, a broad spectrum antiviral that can be used to treat those who develop the disease. You know, and of course, we're finding different medications work better with some strains than others so Mm. it's that cliche you know the more tools in the toolkit the better we're equipped to fight the illness Uh, but i wanted to talk specifically about mrna for a couple of reasons firstly to push back a little on claims that the vaccines are unsafe because they were developed so quickly and secondly because messenger rna drugs hold the potential for treatments for a wide range of conditions from uh, flu to autoimmune diseases to cancer, which can be developed much faster and can be personalized uh, a lot more carefully and, and used in a much more targeted form than traditional vaccines that use modified versions of the invasive virus itself. Yeah, I, I think one of the big things, though, Matt, is that whenever anybody kind of announces that, you know, something is a game changer, uh, that it's going to transform health or, or work or technology, there's often a, a good cause for skepticism, right? 
yeah, I mean, whenever you hear hyperbolic claims, it does give you pause. But mm. let's be clear, you know, this isn't a, a snake oil. It's not a miracle cure. It's a methodology for developing drugs. So you aren't going to see bottles of mRNA in the vitamin aisle in the pharmacy as a, a kind of panacea or cure-all. What yeah. we're essentially talking about is a new way of delivering these drugs into our bodies. Mm -hmm. And as we're essentially a technology show, uh, you know, if you think of us, if you think of our bodies as an operating system, mRNA vaccines are like a, a hack or a cheat code. They're sending right. information to your cells that activate them to fight the virus. Now, I know that might sound scary to some people, but mRNA is essentially doing what viruses do. Viruses are hackers. They hack our bodies and tell them to produce proteins and enzymes that benefit the disease, of course, to our disadvantage. So, you know, in context of our show, uh, we're talking about, uh, we're looking at white hackers versus black hats. Sorry, well, we're looking at white, <laughs> I'll do that again. So we're looking at white hat hackers versus black hats. Yeah, where the mRNA is a, a, a white hat, of course. So, yes, yeah, sort of in a sense, you know, I've been called out recently by a listener for oversimplifying science and misrepresenting, so I have to tread careful with my analogies. Uh, so it's important to distinguish between the two parts of the process. The hack, the process of getting the drug into the body, and the code, the message that the hack delivers. Uh, for example, uh, the Moderna, uh, I think, had a working trial of uh, an mRNA-based COVID vaccine within 66 days. Mm. Uh, last decade, I think back in 2013, in a response to uh, a bird flu outbreak in China, Novartis was able to create a potential mRNA vaccine in only eight days. Now, I know these sound like astonishing times, and that does make people wonder about how safe they can be, especially when you compare them to traditional vaccines that use live or deactivated viruses, mm. which can take a year or more to develop. Mm -hmm. So that's where we come back to that delivery system, the mRNA. And this isn't an overnight sensation. This is a technology, a methodology that scientists have been painstakingly trying to perfect since the 1990s. Uh, fortuitously, I think we've seen these techniques, uh, well, perfected is the, the wrong word in the circumstances, but, you know, we've been lucky. The hack, the delivery system was ready in time to help us fight the coronavirus. So you think we should be looking more at those 30 years of research uh, rather than 66 days of sequencing when we evaluate mRNA vaccines like Pfizer, BioNTech and, and, and Moderna? Yeah, because, you know, this truly is not an overnight development. As I said, research into mRNA and DNA vaccines has been ongoing since the 1990s. Uh, DNA and mRNA vaccines, in theory, allow you to treat a virus in a more straightforward manner because instead of manufacturing proteins to fight a virus, which are then injected into the, the body, an mRNA vaccine carries a code that tells the body to produce those viral proteins and stimulate the immune response itself. Mm -hmm. And DNA and RNA are much easier to manufacture than those proteins. Uh, to quote Peter Cullis, a, a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at the University of British Columbia, from a piece in New Scientist, with mRNA vaccines, 
you're not relying on any biological processes during the manufacture. So it is a much more straightforward process. I'm sure there might be some people wondering, you know, why? Um, if the process is straightforward, then it's taken 30 years to develop uh, this technique. Because it's that same thing that we often come back against, the the reality of replicating what you can do in a lab with what you can do with human bodies. So many viruses use RNA to attack our cells. So mm. our bodies are programmed to fight them. They're programmed to fight any invasive RNA. So it was found that RNAs introduced into the body produced a much more extreme immune response than vaccines using deactivated viruses. Right. So the RNA would be destroyed before it could actually reach the cells and deliver its message to tell the, the, the body to produce the proteins that would target the invading virus. Mm -hmm. So mRNA came to be viewed as a bit of a dead end and focus shifted to created D, uh, creating rather DNA-based vaccines, and we haven't seen the fruits of any of those DNA vaccines yet. However, uh, in 2005, um, again, this is from New Scientist, uh, scientists at the University of Pennsylvania managed to modify the mRNA in such a way that it could bypass the body's autoimmune response and avoid triggering those massive reactions that would destroy the vaccine before it reached the cells. That's a bit like a backdoor. Sure. You know, we may as well get the most out of the hacking analogies, but, you know, that, that <laughs> yeah. works as well. You know, there are other defences to prevent RNA invading our body. There are mechanisms in our sweat, tears and blood called RNAs that destroy them. Uh, another group of uh, researchers managed to find a way to package the RNAs in tiny balls of lipid nanoparticles. So they were basically wrapped in an oily layer that would repel the uh, RNAs and uh, prevent them from being destroyed in the blood, getting them to the cells where they can deliver their code. I mean, come on, Matt, it does sound a bit like programming. Well, which is why, you know, I said we have to be careful with the analogies because of the conspiracies surrounding mind control and microchips. Uh -huh. You know, what we had with the mRNA approach was a sudden need and the corresponding investment to push forward those mRNA vaccines. And of course, take that 30 years of research that they're built on and take them into the mainstream. Uh -huh. And it explains the speed with which we were able to develop the vaccines because we suddenly had that delivery mechanism. So once the virus has been sequenced, you now have the building block to create ways to uh, block the replication of the virus in the body. Mm. And rather than creating candidates that require those biological processes in a lab, you create candidates as code. And when you have the candidates you believe will work against the virus, you can start testing because you already have that system to deliver the coded message to the body's cells. So not only are you speeding that development process, but you're making it a lot cheaper too. Right. So that has a lot of implications for all kinds of diseases beyond uh, the current kind of COVID epidemic. And it brings up that potential for, as I mentioned earlier, customized and personalized treatments at the individual or the group level. Okay, um, when we come back then, unlocking the potential of those vaccines and a, a quick look at breakthroughs in future foods. Uh, you're tuned into Matt Splaint here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
Bluff Free Medium, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. Uh, Matt, so um, we've been talking about mRNA vaccines today, uh, and we mentioned the idea, uh, sorry, that idea of programming, so we can address, um, so so can we address some of those issues of uh, skepticism then, please? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to. I mean, when you, when you see the array of different kinds of vaccines and the methods that we use to make them, as I said earlier, you know, viral vectors, subunits, mRNA, and more. In theory, there should be a vaccine that overcomes whatever objections that you have about a particular vaccine. Uh, but, you know, one of the strongest objections that we've heard people say has been about putting chemicals in your body, uh, injecting the vaccine. So you would have thought that mRNA vaccines would appeal to people with those fears because here you have a treatment that simply tells your body how to fight off the virus itself yeah. uh, and that uses the same methods uh, that the viruses themselves use to attack us to build your own defenses, uh, you know, by telling your body how to produce its own proteins uh, and telling the cells how to combat those uh, invade, invasive proteins. Uh, so as we've seen, you know, a lot of the prejudices against this vaccine are themselves largely immune to truth and facts. But maybe one of the ways is to show how many other uses and applications mRNA vaccines can have to demonstrate that, one, they're safe, uh, but also they're very useful for a wide range of conditions. Mm. Uh, and also, you know, that they can extend affordable treatments for people who face that horrifying choice of pushing themselves and their families into bankruptcy in order to pay for expensive life-saving treatments. So could we then use uh, mRNA to potentially replicate other therapies? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and look for those kind of cheap alternatives for, for those, those costly drugs. Um, we can use it to create, for example, a, a range of antibody treatments. Uh, antibody treatments are already available for many conditions, but they're difficult to manufacture, which makes them expensive. And yeah. treatment often requires uh, frequent or periodic injections of those antibodies to, you know, maintain the, um, the efficacy. So the new scientist uses the example of a rare kidney condition called uh, AHUS. And the uh, antibody treatment for it, a drug called, I'm not going to get the pronunciation of this right, but it's uh, Eculizumab, I think, which uh, costs uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So it's only available to you if you have a health system that is willing to pay uh, mm. or you have very good medical insurance or you have a lot of personal money. A better solution would be an mRNA-based replacement that tells the body how to fight the disease itself. Uh, you know, with a traditional vaccine, because you're creating living cells, each different vaccine re essentially requires an entirely new production process. That's why, you know, traditionally we haven't been able to produce multiple vaccines on the same line in yeah. the same way that you can with manufacture, you know, the same way you can put different flavors of crisps on the same line. So <laughs> with mRNA treatments, that production process is always the same. It's the message that the vaccine carries that changes, not the delivery system. Um, 
we addressed that issue of overhyping at the start of the show, right? When we talk about mRNA, how broad are we looking in terms of diseases it can treat? Well, I guess to understand that, we need to understand better how an mRNA vaccine or treatment functions inside the body. So with the COVID treatments, uh, obviously that's a vaccine, so small quantities of mRNA are used because large quantities will stimulate that overly strong immune response. So it's mm. injected into muscle tissue, typically in the shoulder, so that it doesn't spread be, uh, to a very large area. Uh, other treatments, such as antibody treatments, they require larger amounts of the carrier because they have to tell a broader range of cells how to fight whatever is going on in the body. Mm. So they're injected into the bloodstream. They then travel to the liver and the liver uses the coded mRNA to create the relevant proteins. Uh, I'm going to quote from the new scientist here, but it turns the liver into a bioreactor for producing almost any protein-based drug. So going back to your question, that makes its potential enormous. Mm. And of course, this is still uh, an emerging part of the mRNA story because it was only in 2017 that a team at the University of Pennsylvania discovered that this was possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so another example that uh, New Scientist uses are the trials that Moderna uh, started this year for a drug that targets autoimmune conditions by coding the signaling proteins in the body. Uh, and they've got another drug in, uh, in preparation as well that treats inherited diseases by replacing the faulty enzyme that causes them to be triggered. So what do you think um, are some of the hurdles that still need to be cleared? Well, we have that delivery system, that hack. So there are still issues with the way that these drugs will be targeted. As I said, you know, it, it's only recently that scientists discovered the potential for autoimmune conditions. So the problem largely rests that it's difficult to deliver the mRNAs anywhere other than the liver. Mm. So we have to find ways to deliver them to other organs or into brain tissue, for example, mm. in concentrations that may be larger than it's possible to inject because, again, of the number of cells that they need to deliver the message to. One way that's being used or being trialed is to use deactivated forms of viruses that are known to target uh, a specific group of cells. So you coat the uh, mRNA with this empty shell virus that will enable it to reach that specific target. Mm -hmm. However, uh, because it's a viral shell, the body then creates an immune response to it. So that reduces its efficacy over time. Uh, another way that they're looking at is to create this same empty shell but manufacture it from human proteins. But as I said, you know, all of these things are still at those initial stages. We're not seeing uh, anything anywhere near uh, finished or market ready. I, I suppose one of the, the big questions, and you know, is what about the possibility of using mRNA against cancer cells? Well, there are a number of treatments in development, but again, they're still quite a long way from human trials. It is theoretically possible. The 
biggest issue that I think they're, they're finding, or at least it's been reported that they're finding, is that tumor proteins are very similar to normal proteins, mm. uh, which is, of course, what allows cancer cells to avoid triggering the body's own immune responses. Mm -hmm. So we have to be sure that these mRNA vaccines for cancer won't be themselves toxic, and they only target the tumors and not ordinary tissue. So if we go back to that earlier question about hyping, if we can find ways to deliver the code to the cells that need it, mRNA could be, you know, totally transformative. Uh, yeah. In cancers, it would enable personalized treatments to be created very quickly, and of course, at a much lower cost. And it also allows us to respond much more quickly to newly emerging diseases and their variants. You know, uh, we've seen that with the threats ranging from SARS to MERS to Ebola and the coronavirus over the past 20 years. Yeah. So how quickly we're able to respond can have enormous implications for mortality rates, but also on limiting the spread and the impact of those diseases. You know, no one wants to do what we've been doing for the past couple of years. No one wants to live their life under the threat of lockdowns or limitations to their social activities. So mRNA may be one of the key tools in guaranteeing our health, our safety, and our freedom of movement in the future. I know you're wrapping this up because you want to get a, a quick mention from one of the year's other big developments, um, meat and, and dairy replacement foods. Well, this is tangentially related, um, you know, bioreactors and DNA and proteins. So I thought it'd be good to, to include it with the vaccines today. Yeah. Uh, I could talk more about them, but, you know, we've only got three shows to round off the year. So uh, I, I've got to be brief, which, as everyone knows, is not my strongest <laughs> suit. Um, so we've seen, you know, this, this huge boom in plant-based and meat replacement diets over the course of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, here in Malaysia, we had the zero chicken at KFC which was actually really good. That became a kind of fast food stable, uh, a staple rather in our house. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen this massive move forward, not just in plant-based meat replacements like those in Impossible Burgers and their counterparts, yeah. uh, but the cost of cellular agriculture has made it difficult to produce animal-free meat, fish and dairy on a commercial scale. Uh, a company in Israel, a startup called Imagine Dairy, uh, thinks it's cracked the code for producing animal-free dairy commercially. It hasn't come up with a, a good name, but, uh, you know, their milk would be identical to cow's milk, but it would be made from fungi and plant microorganisms, which would be programmed to produce milk. Where Imagine Dairy uh, has the edge over its rivals in the space is that they've discovered a simpler process for isolating those milk proteins from the microorganisms, which is going to allow them or is allowing them to scale production at a lower cost. Um, we know the arguments for, for lab-based cellular agriculture. Um, Cruelty-free, lower emissions, less land used. But what realistic impact can we achieve by switching to, to this kind of production? Well, imagine dairy estimate that their milk will consume around 10% of the water and only 1% of the land use that traditional dairy consumes. So in case you're imagining vast milk curation plants, that 1% also includes the land and emissions that are used to feed those uh, microorganisms. Uh, livestock is estimated to create around 32% of uh, human-generated methane 
pollution. Uh, most of that comes from uh, cows, whether it's from beef or dairy stock. So mm. reducing those numbers, replacing them with cellular agriculture could have a massive slowing effect on climate change, uh, especially given the rather tepid results of uh, this year's COP26 climate conference. Yeah. Uh, with that said, though, uh, are people ready to accept this type of meat substitute? Well, another reason for uh, including it in today's roundup, because this is something that people also have a lot of scepticism about, not just vaccines. Uh, I think that dairy is a good place for the industry to uh, try and make that crossover into the mainstream. Uh, mm. Milk is less controversial than meat. You know, people don't like that idea of uh, tissue growing in vats. With milk, you know, it, it's just a white liquid in a can. What's the uh, the big deal? So once you can show people that cellular dairy, perhaps even butter, cheese, yogurt, is identical to the animal sourced version and that it's safe, then I think that will help to lower their guard to make them more amenable to uh meat and fish that are produced mm -hmm. in a similar way. Uh, I want to do uh, a, a larger show on this next year, uh, another future foods update, because there are also uh, energy consumption issues with cellular agriculture, and a lot of the vegetable protein-based meat substitutes are highly processed. So there are a number of issues to look at in calculating you know, what the best way to go is. But right. I think it's safe to say, you know, during a a Christmas season where supply issues may be affecting the delivery of turkeys, that for the good of the planet and the good of future societies, that that future has to contain less meat of the walking, swimming and flying variety. Wonderful stuff. Uh, thanks very much, Matt. Thanks, Richard. Uh, good to get the year done. Indeed. Uh, folks, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. If you missed any part of this show, download the podcast wherever you normally listen to it from. We recommend the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.